you're very welcome along. It is the gardening programme. That music should signal that particular point in the week here on Midwest Radio, as it does. And uh, Pori Corkin, on this lovely sunny Good morning. Good morning, Deirdre. Good although morning. the forecast... Kind of spring-like, isn't yeah, it? It's, it is. It's, yeah, it is. I, I was, and I said this earlier when I started the programme. As I was driving along this morning... Um, the trees are really starting to come into leaf now yep. and not just, I know we talked about the, the cherry blossoms last week, but everything is starting to really uh, kind of burst forward and there was just a lovely serene feeling at around you what know, time 6 of the morning o'clock was that? this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Daylight had just you, broken. You were on your own. <laughs> I, well, I kind of was, but well, it, the, the it was lovely at the same time. Yeah, but the funny thing about the weather as well, because it's been very cool, I suppose the, the whites were having mm. a certain amount of sunshine and showers, it's been quite cool like seven degrees I think this morning um, and what I've noticed is that that's actually keeping trees in flower longer this year if you notice okay. like the cherries are lasting longer than they normally would um, you know magnolias are still in flower uh, so a lot of the spring flowering plants because of the very cool weather if we had warm weather like we had back in March those first two weeks plants they'd, all w- they'd go out of flower very quickly but the cool temperatures have actually kept uh, the plants in flower longer and we've ha- we hadn't have had an awful lot of windy weather either mm. so the flowers haven't been damaged from that so it's actually extended the flower because if you think about it we've been talking about flowered cherries from since probably oh, March have, yes, and yeah. now we're coming, you know, we're well into the middle of April now and uh, whereas, you know, traditionally cherries might last two or three weeks. So this year they're flowering longer and that applies to all spring flowering plants. Uh, you're getting a longer extension of the flowering period and I've noticed things like the apple trees, whilst the flower buds have been on them, they haven't opened just yet. They're still kind of sitting there and the cool temperatures do that to plants. They slow down the actual flowering and tend to get the plants to flower for a longer period. So it's, again, it's like putting the the, the the cut flowers into a into a fridge it mm. holds them that you know for so much longer so the cooler temperatures have actually helped to keep the colour going longer in the garden this spring okay yeah I have to say I noticed it myself not necessarily as from a floral point of view but even the grass where that those, those couple of weeks of you know abnormally high temperatures yeah. there in March it, there was an awful burst of growth all yeah. of a sudden and now it's all slowed, slowed back a little yeah, yeah thankfully that we're yeah. not out cutting the grass yeah, every few days but uh, it's it, it, you know it was great perhaps to get that initially and yeah. now back to things back, that are more to, normal yeah and it's probably a little bit we're, we're, we're experiencing lower temperatures than we would normally right. we, we tend to like to see kind of more temperatures or 11 degrees but that cool weather is certainly having that effect so you're not cutting the lawn as often which is probably a bonus mm. and the trees albeit they're coming into leaf they're coming into leaf nice and slowly as well so it's teeing up to be a very good spring I mean I, you know again just looking at things like the fruiting plants things like blackcurrants and gooseberries they're setting there's lots of flowers in the blackcurrants at the moment gooseberries are setting a lot of fruit uh, the apple trees as I mentioned are just awash with, with um, flowers so you know if everything goes according to plan <laughs> Which what, it always what's could. the ideal situation <laughs> for us to have an extraordinary year well, a little bit of heat now I yeah but that's soon. exactly what yeah. we want we want to get back to uh, there's plenty of moisture there at the moment the cool temperature certainly and the, and the amount of flower buds is certainly it's teeing up very well now what we want for May is nice warm balmy days nice warm temperatures Bring get the bees on. out get them moving between the plants and so on but certainly uh, yeah it's been an interesting spring it's been an interesting spring to say the least and I think a lot of people have still not done a lot of the gardening yet you know there okay. are certainly the amount of vegetables and potatoes that people would tend to have in at this time of year uh, you know the, 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 because of the I suppose the showers and the cooler temperatures so I think there'll be a bus, burst of growth but there'll be a burst of activity in the garden in, in May as well and, Yeah and I suppose as well because you know it's a little bit like we've learned lessons perhaps over the last couple of years where we're just waiting to make sure that the weather is at the right stage and that we're not 
doing things too early either. Yeah, and that's a really that's a really you know a good good idea mm. because again you're tempted to put out the the geraniums and the bedding plants early, and even some of the tender vegetables if you put them out, you know particularly with this cool temperatures, uh, they are going to be set back. So you're better off just holding back. Uh, we always got away with it in the west of Ireland because we, you know typically mm. it has been so mild and and uh, in the on the east coast and in the midlands they wouldn't think of putting bedding plants out until May the middle of May until all risk of frost is gone. But we were always that month of head in terms of temperature. So we, you know, April was always a good time to put things out. But certainly the cooler temperature at the moment, I would advise people just to hold back a little bit on putting on tender stuff, anything that might be damaged, like French marigolds, um, salvias, anything that tend to be on the tender side, runner beans, that frost can damage your tomato plants. I'd still keep them a little bit nurtured inside on a windowsill or in the greenhouse or in the tunnel um, for another couple of weeks yet. Until whether just the temperatures in particular start to pick up again. Okay, great. So they get a go. So what's all that saying to you? <laughs> well, it's saying uh, be preparing as much as you can, perhaps, mm. uh, internally, and uh, then maybe just give it another couple of weeks uh, yeah, and, to, be, and, to be sure, to be sure. Exactly, and there's plenty of time. You know, it's early. Mm. It is still very early. Uh, we seem to have had a long spring this year. Spring seems to be going on for quite a long period. But, uh, you know, May... June, it's still a great planting time because many of the, the bedding plants in particular and the hanging basket plants and things like tomatoes and so on will continue right into September and October. So there's a long period to play yet. So don't feel that you've missed anything. No, you know, that the season is over. But, 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 don't, but don't be sitting back either. No, and, no, uh, no, no, no. But do, take, do start planning. Do, as soon as, as, soon as yeah. we, we see the temperatures rising, start getting back out into the garden again and start sowing the seeds and planting the bedding plants and so on. And if you're fortunate to have a greenhouse or a tunnel or a conservatory, you can be certainly using that space to encourage plants because the heat is certainly there in, in a protected area, mm. you know, in a glasshouse and a tunnel. It'll be quite warm on a day like today, by 12 o'clock, there'll be you know, 12, 15 degrees within a tunnel. So use that to get the plants growing, get them early. So when the weather does lift again, you're you're straight out into the garden and you've, you've gained that couple of weeks of growth. Okay, great. Now, we have a good few questions in already for you, Porrick. All right. So uh, we'll tackle into them, yeah, if we may. Away. So uh, a lot of my spring flowering shrubs have finished flowering. All right. Well, now that's okay, an antithesis to what we've just been talking about. <laughs> they must have been in really, really early. Um, they're wondering, though, can they cut them back now or is it in winter? And also, how do you cut hydrangeas back? Okay, well, certainly early early flowering shrubs like forsythiae, um, things like the flowering red currant, plants that have been flowered in late February, March, they have gone, or they're going over now at this stage and you're, the listener is dead right, now is the time to cut them back. So anything spring flowering that has finished flowering, that's the time to prune it back and something like a yellow forsythiae or something like um, the flowering red currant, you'd prune it quite hard back. I would take two to three feet of growth out of the plant mm. and I might even take out some of the stronger branches as well, prune them a little bit more severe. So don't cut it all back like a rosebush, but certainly selectively take out a, a good bit of the branches and particularly you'll see where the flowers are fading on the plant and cut back to there. And as I always say, when you when you prune, you feed at the same time. So to get lots of flower on those spring flowering plants next season, that's the time, now, now is the time to start feeding them and build them up for the summer because you want lots of young growth and on that growth you get the colour next February, March. So things like flowering cherries, for example, they're going to be going out of flower uh, in the next two to three weeks mm. and the time for pruning them is after they finish flowering. So pruning is often related to the to the time of year the plants flower. So spring flowering plants, and that generally means anything that flowers, say, from February through to the end of May, you prune immediately after it finishes flowering. So brooms 
would be a good example. The flowering brooms are in full flower at the moment. They're beautiful at the moment everywhere. But once they go out of flower at the end of May, that's the time to cut them back. And when you cut them, you feed at the same time. That encourages lots of new growth and that's where your flowers will be born next year. In relation to the hydrangea, they have kicked into the growth, but the growth is slow on hydrangeas at the moment. So the listener could prune the hydrangea back and the, the tip with that is to just prune out the, shoot, the shoots that flowered last summer and you'll know those because they'll still have the old flower the old withered flower okay. on top of the hydrangea so follow that stem back and prune it out but any new growth coming from the surface or any shoots that didn't flower last year leave them well enough alone again with hydrangeas a rose fertilizer um, so, you know, a good rose feed, this sudden impact, for example, would be a very good one to use or something with high potash levels because that promotes the flowering in all shrubs, hydrangeas in particular. So get yourself a, a little tub of sudden impact, put a couple of handfuls around the base of the hydrangea, repeat it in about two or three weeks time. Okay. And particularly in this kind of wet weather, mm. it's ideal for getting fertilisers on. OK, because it, it gets down into the soil, into yeah. the roots. So. Just to recap, spring flowering shrubs, prune them after flowering. Hydrangeas, you could still prune now, but just remove the flowering wood, the wood that it... From it, last year. From last year. Yeah, not the one that's, not the stuff that's coming yeah. on. Okay, now from hydrangeas uh, to lilacs. Somebody has two lilacs and they're two years old. They have budded but never opened and now they've turned brown. What could be wrong with well, them? Well, I'm presuming the... the, the um, if, if they haven't come into leaf at all, if they've never leafed, well then the, the, the lilacs at this time of year have broken bud, uh, mature Sure, lilacs and, and lilacs tend not to flower for several years. So, if it's a flowering, um, you know, issue, then don't expect uh, lilacs to flower until they're five or six years old. They do take a, quite a bit of time to settle down. If the plant hasn't budded or, at all, or there's no fresh growth coming on it, then that plant has failed has died okay. if there's no green growth coming on it. Now, again, it's a, it's a tad early, so I'd give it the benefit of the doubt. I'd give it another couple of weeks and see, will it come into leaf? But it should be certainly breaking. They are breaking bud. I've seen them in, in many gardens at the moment. And indeed, particularly on the East Coast, they're actually, the flower buds are present at the moment on lilacs. So there should be some visible growth on your lilac plants at the moment. To, to check the stems, what the listener can do is get a, a knife a, or a blade and just scrape the, the bark and see is the wood inside nice and green. If it is, they'll come into growth and you could encourage that by putting on a little bit of feed but if the if the wood is is brown or dead inside then it's the, the lilac could have failed over right. the winter period lilacs need a good sunny location you treat them more as small trees than shrubs to be honest right. because you know they'll, they'll grow to seven or eight feet in height and they tend like many trees not to flower for the first couple of years so you have to be a little bit patient with them and it's, it's I suppose it's a bit tempting when you see them in flower everywhere mm, else yeah why what's wrong with what's mine what's right you know but they do need that um, you know and there are several plants peony roses would be another good example of plants that tend to take a little bit of time to settle down before they start flowering. Now, you can help to induce them into flowering by using rose fertilisers or high potash fertilisers. Sulfate of potash in its own would help to help to, to bring them into flower. Mm. Um, so, I think it's a case of testing, um, I suppose, not really clear from the question, have they actually come into leaf or is it the flowers that the listener mm. is worried about? But just to check that it's still alive, scrape the bark, look at the stem. If it's green, give it a bit of time, a little bit of feed and that should come into growth for you. Uh, if it's flowering, don't worry about it be patient with it but make sure it's in a good um, sunny location and with lilacs they need little or no pruning right. so don't be tempted to go out and be pruning it back leave it alone feed it by all means and just allow it to come into it'll settle down over time and funny enough the, the where you have soil that's very rich I think I've often said this before mm. if you've got a garden that's very fertile and lots of nutrition and lots of nitrogen in it plants might take even longer 
to okay. come into flower because they're they're loving the the rich environment. They're growing very strongly, and they tend not to think about flowering until you know several years after that. So often on very impoverished and poor soils, or if the lilac is grown in a bit of a ditch yeah. where there's very little <laughs> soil it comes into flower an awful lot earlier isn't right, it funny right so there it's, it's it kind of has to prove itself as such yeah well it's 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 the, it's it's nature working at its yeah. best where where the plant is feeling under stress it hasn't got a lot of nutrition it triggers itself into flowering early and that's what's sulfur of potash again very technical yeah. this morning aren't I <laughs> terribly <laughs> but that's what pot, potash does it slows the plants down it, it, it counterbalances nitrogen so it slows everything okay. down and the plants feel a little bit under stressed and therefore it triggers them into flowering so that's why potash is often used on roses and anything flowering or fruiting it slows the whole the whole growth down and it nearly triggers or trips tricks the plant into coming into flower early okay so that's you know you'd often see a lilac like sitting on a, a ditch or mm, and it's flying in, away and it's blowing mm, its head off mm. and the other the other neighbour is next door and it feeding it and looking after it and giving it, it yeah. yeah and it's all leaves and no flowers so okay. but they, they it's not that they'll never flower they just uh they'll once they slow down once they've done a, a certain amount of growth they start to slow down they start to mature then they come into bloom Okay, interesting. It's a little, little bit of a chemistry lesson there, yeah. all right, this morning. Right, let's move on from lilacs to silver birches. Yeah. Um, silver birch tree, general information now on this pork. When should it be planted? What type of soil? Where can you buy it? And roughly, uh, well, I don't know, price-wise, that's going to vary, obviously, depending. It depends on the size, yeah. 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 Well, well, first of all, silver birch, well worth growing. They grow extremely easy here in the west of Ireland. I mean, the, the bogs are full of the common silver birch. But you want, if you want a really good one, the one I would recommend is one called Betula Jacquemontii. It's the white barked birch. The bark, as it matures, when you buy the tree, it'll be brown. Mm-hmm. But as it matures, it goes pure white. This is the colour of snow. Um, beautiful plant. So that's Betula Jacquemontii. Good time to plant them now. They'll grow in ordinary garden soil. They'll grow in slightly dampish soils, but not wet soils. Right. Um, I would recommend you plant them in groups. So in the wild, you see birch, you know, yeah. in, in little clusters. So a minimum of three together and space them about six feet apart yes. and grow them in a cluster. Um, and birch is not a very big tree, so it suits most gardens. It doesn't suffer from pests and diseases. Um, and right through the winter, right through all 12 months of the year, you've got beautiful colour from them. So they've got that lovely peeling bark and that lovely uh, white uh, colour, which is particularly nice in winter. Mm. Often nice to plant birch and plant things like winter heathers underneath them. Right. It's a lovely contrast. Oh, that lovely, yeah. Yeah. So you've got the silver bark and you've got the red, say, Merton Ruby or some of the, the red or pink heathers, which again flower for such a long period, September through to it. They're still in flower actually at this time of year. Yeah. If people have, so a good time to plant them. You're buying a tree about six feet tall in, in any of the garden centres, six, seven feet tall, and that'll cost you about 30 euros, somewhere around that. But the best variety for me is one called Betula Jacquemontii, if you want a nice upright tree with a beautiful bark. There is a weeping variety. Actually, we had wheat rentes, if you remember last week, yes, on the Dutchman, yep. and he was talking about uh, Betula pendula, the weeping birch. So again, if you wanted a nice small tree uh, with a weeping habit and more unusual habit, then that's quite a nice variety. The bark isn't as white or as uh, pure, the, the, the coloration in the bark on the weeping variety, but it's quite a nice tree as well. For, for listeners that uh, I think I mentioned last week that have old birch, mm-hmm. right, birch that are five, six, seven years old and the bark is looking a little bit green or a little bit off colour, get the power washer to it oh, that's today right. yep. and clean them up and that's what I do with the birch in the garden and it brings them up absolutely beautiful um, so just power wash the actual stems the bar, the trunk and the stems itself every two to three years and it brings up that lovely colour 
I think you said it, exfoliates it, is that the it word? Does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a girly term. <laughs> but yes, that's But that's what it does. Yeah, that's and, what it's and, doing. And it's yeah. well worth to do it. So good time to plant them. They'll grow in ordinary garden soil. They're not fussy. Plant them in clusters of three, particularly the Jacquemontia variety. And um, I'd often recommend to underplant them with low-growing heathers or low-growing shrubs just for a bit of contrast and a bit of interest. And uh, they grow in ordinary garden soil and a good time to plant them. Okay. So. That's cool. It sounds like, yeah. it sounds like a, a definite option to consider then. Yeah. Thanks for your question, John. Right, we're going to take a quick break. It's 23 minutes past 9 o'clock. It is the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio with Porrick Harkin. Uh, we're with you till 10. 87 41 is our text if you want to uh, send in a question to Porrick. Uh, with thanks, of course, to CNC Cellular, where switching your landline to Vodafone is easy. You can call us as well, 0818-3055. And there's a dedicated uh, web address for the programme. So if, whether we're on air or off air, uh, you can send it in to us anytime. Garden at midwestradio.ie. Now we're going to take a very quick break and we're back in a few minutes. You're very welcome back. It is the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio with Porrick Harkin. Now, Porrick, um, somebody, wild brambles. How can you get rid, rid, uh, rid, rid even, of wild brambles and ivy in a ditch area? And when would it be safe to plant a new hedge in this area after everything is dead? Okay, well, you're coming up to a good time of year. The brambles are kicking into growth at the moment. You probably mm. could leave them another another week or two just to put on a little bit of extra growth because the more growth is on brambles, once you treat them, the better the kill you get. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're, they're you know, brambles brambles funny enough were not back very severely in the in the cold winters a bit like the gorse and they really only have uh, you know come back in the last the latter part of last year yeah. and, and this year they're they're, they're growing strongly but I would leave them maybe for another fortnight um, and spray them with something like uh, brushwood killer Roundup actually do a very good one uh, so it's Roundup brushwood killer you mix it in water a little bit of washing up liquid and just spray it onto the foliage of the brambles on a nice dry sunny day it'll also kill the ivy and once the brambles and, and ivy have died you can start planting your hedge in then you're going to have to clean away the old stems of the brambles mm. so, you know they're going to be obviously there so you're going to, there'll be a bit of strimming and tidying up of the area once the the uh, brambles and the the ivy have have died away, so I would treat them in about a fortnight's time, the end of April. Within a fortnight, they'll have died, and then you can start planting your new hedge or shrubs or whatever you want into right. that area. Would they have much of a root system, brambles? Well, funny they don't. Well, brambles are actually very surface rooting, and right. they propagate themselves by the tips the tips of the bramble oh, okay. hitting the soil and starting to root again. But funny enough, the, the root structure, you, you'll actually grub them out with a spade very easily. Um, so particularly young brambles, are, they don't have an extensive root structure. It's not that you have to be digging and digging, digging on, right. to get them. Yeah. But having said that, um, you know, they can be quite a mess uh, particularly if they're if they're a few years old, because they've, they've spread they're in all, all directions. Case, yeah. yeah. So the easiest way is to put on a little bit of brushwood killer at the end of April, once the growth is is nice and present and lush, and it'll also kill your ivy for you as well. Okay, great. Uh, and does it a couple of weeks then? And you're about a fortnight. Right. If once you apply once you apply the treatment, leave it for a fortnight. Put it on with a sprayer, dry day, a little bit of the washing up liquid because the leaves on ivy in particular are very glossy and that it, it tends it to tends run to, off. Yeah. Um, there's no damage to the soil. And then you can just trim off the area, tidy it up, and put in your 
put in your new hedge or trees or whatever the listener wants to put right, in. Right, well, actually, and the next question relates to something along those lines. Is it Can somebody still plant hedging in the garden or is it too late? And what would you recommend as a good all-round evergreen? Well, it's not too late. I mean, you're into the, the, pot, the potted hedging plants. The soil conditions are ideal. I mean, you can plant hedges, to be honest, for the next six to eight weeks comfortably. So right through the, re- the rest of April, May, into the early part of June. Uh, it depends on what, what height the, the listener wants in terms of the hedge. If they want something nice and low and tidy, say a foot, two feet high, mm. think about boxwood. Something a little bit taller, three to four feet, uh, laurel etna, that lovely dark green t- variety. It's a smaller leafed laurel, very tough, very hardy, uh, very good for a hedge up to about four or five feet. And then if you want something taller, then common laurel rotundifolia, I think Billy mentioned last week. Laurel rotundifolia is a good hardy variety, okay. tough. Um, so it's a great time still to plant uh, you've got certainly another six to eight weeks to plant hedging plants. And again, I would clean the soil. If, if you're putting them into grass or into an area where there's weeds or whatever, mm. treat that area now with a little bit of um, Roundup or 360. That'll eliminate any of the grass that's there. It leaves you a clean palette when you're putting in your hedging plants and the weeds and grass won't compete if you're feeding the hedge during the summer months. So it's often a good idea to mark the area, treat it with a little bit of um, uh, weed killer and clean the area and then put in your hedging plants. But Mm. super time to plant. Perfect. Super time. Okay. Now, how do you prevent mildew in gooseberries? Um, Quite simply, um, as I I suppose I I mentioned earlier, that Mm -hmm. the gooseberries are are fruiting really well and the young little fruitlets are there at the moment. Um, Gooseberry mildew is very common on all gooseberries and I would actually treat them irrespective of whether they get them, whether you've got mildew on them the last year or the last couple of years. So you use a a fungicide and the best one to reuse is one called Bordeaux mixture. So it's a little tub that you get, you mix it with water, you apply it to the foliage. Mildew will tend to be um, very very obvious in in May, late April, May, early June, that sort of period and particularly during warm weather. It'll come on the foliage and it spreads onto the fruit. So it's called American gooseberry mildew, very specific to gooseberries and it's not that it damages the fruit but it leaves a kind of a, a coating on the fruit. So when you actually pick the fruit then you have to nearly clean okay, each, each individual one. gooseberry and that's not going to happen. Yeah. So it spoils the crop uh, and if you had it last year you'll tend to get, get it again this year but it's very common on gooseberries so prevention is better than trying mm-hmm. to cure it. The Bordeaux mixture is very much a preventative treatment so you mix it in the washing can or the sprayer the next dry day apply it, repeat it maybe every 7 to 10 days and that will keep them absolutely clean for you and uh, the Bordeaux mixture can be used safely on fruit or on vegetables or whatever so it's quite a good one to use. Good. Now what is the lovely pink flowering climber that is in flower <coughs> at the moment? Lots of small shell pink flowers and it mm. looks very fast growing. That's the, the, the lovely uh, Clematis Montana Rubens. Rubens is the pink variety. Mm-hmm. There's one called Alba as well which is a white variety. Good time to plant them. Um, it, as the listener says, it is a very vigorous climber. It will put on 15, 10 to 15 feet of growth per year. And again, going back to the spring pruning that I mentioned about the shrubs, the time to prune that lovely spring flowering clematis is immediately after flowering, which will be about the middle of May. So that's clematis montana rubens, or it comes in a variety called alba, which is the white version. And there are very, various different shades of pink that you can get in it. But if you want a good, fast, easy to grow clematis, that's people often bring in and say, well, I, you know, my clematis died mm. back. That's one certainty that won't. Right. You will have the only. The only, uh, I suppose, question that the, the people say is, how do I restrict it? How right. do I keep it 
<laughs> How do I control it? Because okay. it spreads. So if you had ivy, say, on a wall, or you had a hedge, or you had a big conifer in the garden, you want to just add a bit of colour, put in one of those clematis montana. They won't flower this year for you, but they'll certainly start to bloom from next spring, and they'll have put on that 8 or 10 feet of growth this summer. So quite a good plant. Okay, great. Now, is it possible to get wildflowers for an area of a garden? This person doesn't want grass only, but would love a wildflower area now with low maintenance. Low maintenance. Well, well, the wildflowers tend to be. I mean, yeah, the answer is yes. You can buy wildflower mix in a in a box. So it comes in a box yeah. of with a maybe. 20 or 30 different varieties of wildflowers things like cornflowers, poppies um, you know, the, the, the daisy flowers, all the different mm. uh, mixtures. It's a good, this, time, this is the time of year to plant them. Many of them won't flower this year. They tend to be biennial which means you sow them at this time of year and they, they bloom next, next summer right. the summer yeah, of, of 2013 so this year would all be about getting the area ready, sowing the seed the plants will certainly grow and they'll mm. be very visible and then the flowers will come next year. So the answer is yes. The wildflowers are a great area, way to, to kind of take an area of the garden that you might want to be cutting grass or you might want to be planting shrubs mm. in and just give it back to nature, but give it back in a way that you're controlling. Structured way, yeah. yeah. So again, my advice really would be you need to clean the area of any existing weeds because there's no point putting the seed down where mm. there's grass and docks and other weeds there. So... If it's an area of the garden that there's nothing planted, uh, the weeds will start to come forward in the next couple of weeks. Treat that area again with something safe. Roundup is actually quite safe to use because once it touches the soil, it becomes neutralised. Rake the area off, sow the wildflower seed, get yourself a couple of boxes of seed, put it down. It'll germinate over a two to three week period and the plants will be very visible from June, July, August. Some may flower right. if we get a, lo- a long summer, yeah. but you're really playing for next year. Now, the other thing you can do is plant bulbs in the autumn so all the daftas and narcissi would work very well yeah. in a wildflower area. And if you have a particular liking for, say, poppies or bluebells or whatever, or, or harebell, you can buy the seed of those separately. Right. So if you so maybe buy a box or two of the wildflower mix, which would be a mixture of different varieties. Yeah. But if you have a particular leniency towards poppies, for example, then you can buy separate packets of seed of poppies and mix those into the mix. So you, you're getting a higher percentage of that particular flower. Yeah. Or if you were maybe looking for to create some kind of color scheme or something. Exactly. If you, you know, wanted yellows, yeah, yeah. yeah, you could you could you can buy the actual wildflower seed okay. in separate packets, mm. and they will have anything up to two or three hundred seed in a pack. So it's a, it's a good idea. Um, um, people will often plant fruiting plants in amongst their wildflower areas so some apple trees or some pear trees and you'll, have that, you'll have the insect activity you'll have the insect activity, mm. you get the bees in and the wildflower mix is actually very good for encouraging bees and from memory you can actually buy a bee specific wildflower mix <laughs> <laughs> or a butterfly specific. So there are right. there are particular wildflowers that are high in nectar and high in pollen that bees will be more okay, attracted to. So I suppose the nurseries have put together a collection of yeah. seed that will favour. But you tend to get, if you get bees in, you get other insects in as well. But you could put some uh, apple trees and have the wildflowers growing beneath Sounds them. Lovely. So it's, it's a good way. And it's this is, again, it's a good time of year to, to, to start sowing the seed. The temperatures are going to be right at the moment. But I would advocate to get the soil clean, first of all. Yes. Uh, get rid of any docks of weeds because they're going to come forward in your wildflower mix and you you know you want to reduce the amount you're going to get a bit of that anyway, anyway yeah. but you want to re- reduce that so the way to do that is to clean the area first rake it off sow the seeds say at the end of April early May the seeds will start to germinate during the summer months and you will get some flowers this summer particularly from the annual mix uh, annual uh, flowers that are in the mix mm-hmm. but you're really playing for this summer of 
following year. And uh, I, I, <clears throat> do they come back then every year? Well, a lot of them reseed. Yeah, so, okay. so yeah. they're okay. Some will be they're perennial. Kind of self-seeding. Yeah, really. self-seeding a lot. And, and that's important. And I suppose that goes back to the maintenance free. You yeah. allow the wildflower, like a wildflower meadow, you don't cut it back until late summer, early autumn to allow the seeds to, to drop onto the soil. And then coming into the autumn, you'd strim the area and clean it up and tidy it up. Okay. Great. Now, uh, l- l- lots of weed. Uh, right. Mary's tail causing a problem, yeah, Porek, in the yeah. garden. Uh, what will kill it? It's about six inches tall at the moment. Right. Well, and Mary's tail, or, or the old horse's tail, is, is now is the time of year. It's herbaceous, so you don't see it for the winter. And, and over the last couple of weeks, of course, it's popping its head up. Yeah. Um, again, what I would use on it, the, the, the traditional sprays like Roundup are ineffective. So don't waste your time putting those on Mare's tail. They're, they're ineffective. You want to use something that... Um, we want to use something in particular the agricultural sprays are very good or lawn sprays so uh, dicoflower for example the one that we use for dandelions uh-huh. that's very effective on mare's tail uh, brushwood killer so the, the one I mentioned earlier yes. the roundup brushwood killer so any of those that are tend to, te- you tend to use for more persistent weeds like dandelions daisies docks um, you know the brambles we mm. mentioned earlier so the two I would use is roundup brushwood killer or dicoflower which is a uh, used traditionally for lawns but is very effective on mare's tail as well Okay, great. Uh, now, how does one grow geraniums? Is it from seed or small plants? Well, you can do both, but if you want flowers, if you want flowers this year, um, really, you'd want to be getting yourself some small plants and, okay. and growing them on. They will germinate from seed, um, and the seed needs to be sown indoors. You can buy yourself a couple of packs of seed, sow them indoors. They'll flower late summer from seed at this time of year. Really, they should be sown in January, February indoors. But you can still sow them certainly from seed, and you will get the colour more towards August, September, and really for the following year um, another way to propagate geraniums is by cuttings by taking cuttings from the plants and they're taken in July, August um, and they differ a little bit to other cuttings in that you allow them to dry slightly before putting them into a compost mix so leave them for a day uh, to dry for the actual the cutting to dry and then put it into a, a potting mix and, and it roots very quickly so the listener could still sow, sow some seed but to be honest if you want colour for this year I would buy some plants okay. young plants um, and grow them on yourself Lovely Now what trees can I grow in a wet area in the garden something that's easy to grow and is this an okay time to plant trees? Yeah well it's a great, it's a great time for planting planting trees or shrubs or anything really um, depending on the level of wetness if it's really really damp I would go for alders in particular which will grow with their feet in water with their roots in water mm-hmm. um, and then will help to dry up an area I think again last week we featured the uh, the alnus the aurea the yellow Alnus, which is quite a decorative plant. It's got like yellow leaves and yellow stems. But anything in the alder family are very good. Willow, uh, in particular, you've got the large willow, Albatristus, which is a weeping variety, very kind of... It's actually a tree you'll see up along the canals in in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the roots of it are growing right in down into the water. So that's quite a nice tree, very decorative tree and quite a large tree. And it would, be, again, be a good tree to help dry up the area. So that's Salix albatristus, the, the weeping willow or the golden willow because the stems are golden on that. The golden alder as well would be quite good. Then maybe, in a, you know, where it's still wet but mm-hmm. not too, you know, where it's it's moist more than wet, the birch would be very good to grow. Uh, Crotagus Paul Scarlet, which is the pink thorn, which yeah, is the white thorn farm, family. And that would tolerate, uh, you know, dampish, dampish ground. Right. But for the wet area, I would stick to the alders and the willows. And there are many different varieties of willows as well that the listener could go for. Right. And put them in clusters, you know, in groups of fives and sevens, and that'll help to dry up the area. Okay, lovely. Now, um, 
somebody's wondering about growing tomato chilies and peppers on a windowsill indoors they don't have a greenhouse is it possible to do that it is but you want to go for the short varieties okay. so you know in tomatoes yeah. you've got varieties that will grow six and seven feet which are obviously more suitable yeah, for for the greenhouse mm. the tunnel or, or outside later on so go for the dwarf varieties on a windowsill there's a good variety called totem totem so as the totem pole cool. but it only grows two feet in height um, it produces nice large red fruit and ideal say for maybe a 10 inch or 12 inch pot right. so the plants are available this time of year so look for the variety called totem so it's a short variety um, it'll produce nice sized fruit it'll produce fruit for most of the summer and it's ideal for growing on your windowsill indoors oh, right. in terms of the chilies yes there's a good variety it's called Apache Apache chilies um, which again are, are small very hot chilies how, yeah. how, how do they rate in quite, terms of the heat quite hot and remember that if you leave the seeds in it makes it hotter right so yeah. you know if, if if you don't do too hot then obviously you can just scrape the seeds out um, you tend to find too with chilies the hotter uh, the, the more they've ripened um, they tend to get a little bit sweeter so picking them early they, they, see, they can be a lot hotter or more mm. intense so allow them maybe to, to mature a little bit more but chilies are well worth growing again the plants are available this time of year you simply pot them up into maybe a 6 or 9 inch pot grow them on the windowsill or if you've got yourself maybe a small little mm. window box with okay. a tray underneath yeah. put your chilies put three plants of chilies into the, the window box and sit it on your windowsill inside and just and grow them on uh, but have a little tray underneath them that you know there's no dripping of, of the of moisture down onto the, the windowsill itself right. so you can get the, the window boxes with little window with tray. sill trays so the chilies would be ideal in, in that the tomatoes would be fine in that as well or in separate uh, pots and the other peppers. was the peppers again you can grow those indoors as well they'll grow in height about 18 inches mm. to 2 feet so you probably want a slightly bigger windowsill for the, for the peppers yeah. but certainly the chilies and the tomatoes and that variety totem is, is very good to grow on windowsills. And are they, <clears> those tomatoes, like, are they cherry-type tomatoes? No, no, or they're, they're, they're full-size? They're, they're, they're what what, what we call the normal tomato in Ireland? They're nearly in between that. Right, okay. They're actually, they're not, they're not cherries, they're not really small, they're a diameter, I suppose, smaller than a golf ball. Right. But that's sort of ping-pong ball. Yeah. That's smaller than the golf ball it is. Well, <laughs> it's kind of relative, yeah. Yeah, so that, they're that sort of size, but they tend to produce them en masse. Right. So you get lots oh, of fruit so off, off the totem. Yeah. Remember to feed them with the tomato feed once a week, once right. they start flowering. Yeah. And um, quite easy to grow. There are other varieties that you can grow in hanging baskets like Tumbler or Tumbling Tom. Um, you know, if the listener was able to maybe in a, in a conservatory or porch right. area to put them into a basket or hanging basket. But it's a good time. Now is the time really for tomatoes, chilies, peppers, aubergines, all of those sort of plants, cucumbers. They're all to be grown at this time of year. Right. An empress tree, and then we'll take a little quick break. Empress tree, one foot tall, set in a pot. Can I transplant it? You can indeed. You can plant it plant it out. Um, and indeed, any plants, any shrubs or, or pl- conifers or trees in, in pots that might be in it for a year or two and you want to transplant them, now is a good time to actually do that, to lift them, uh, you know, knock off some of the soil and transplant them out into the garden. Okay, lovely. Good time to do that, yeah. Right, we'll take a quick break. Uh, Porik is with the store until 10, so do stay with us. You're very welcome back. It's just a quarter to ten, so loads more to cover yet, Porrick. Um, well, we're getting that that point. Now, um, somebody's wondering, is there a hedge called a red robin something, and is it like a laurel? It's Fortinia red robin that, that we often grow as a mm. shrub, but it actually grows as a, as a hedging plant as well, because the more you prune 
Red Robin, the more colour you get from it. So it makes an excellent hedge. Okay. So the more you trim it, the more uh, new growth it, it actually throws out. And obviously the colour in Red Robin and the young growth is a beautiful red colour. So it stands out and it's used extensively for, for hedging plants. So yeah, if you want something different, something with a lot of colour in the garden and maybe a hedge up to about four, five, six feet type of thing, then Fortini Red Robin is quite nice. It's evergreen. It retains the foliage mm. in winter. And the young growth is that predominant red, very distinctive. I mean, when you I see it... you can really see at the moment. Yeah, when you see yeah. it as a hedge it, it, you know, it, it really catches your eye. But it does need regular trimming to keep it nice and full um, so don't just tr- prune it once in the year. I would prune it early spring, you get a nice flush of growth at this time of year and then prune it again about midsummer, about uh, June, July and you get a second flush of growth from it and it helps to keep the hedge nice and tight and full. Okay, lovely. Now, this was new to me last week, so uh, they're back on the radar again this week. Mauve Adirata right. Porrick. Right, uh, somebody right. is wondering, they, well, they say they can't seem to find them in any of the garden centres. So, would you have any idea where you could get them? Well, we certainly have the seed of the blue Adiratum, um in stock. It's in the Thompson and Morgan range. So, if the, if the listener wants to just ring the garden centre, we'll actually post it out to them if, if they want. Um, it's uh, probably not, as I said earlier, blue Adiratum was kind of a, it was a favourite many years ago mm. as a bedding plant, and I suppose a lot of, of the other traditional bedding plants like lobelias and white alisums and other border plants have maybe superseded them. It wasn't one of the most popular bedding plants. So right. for that, nurseries, I think, have kind of... Scaled not, them back a bit. Yeah. Now, they're still available. And I think I, I, when we answered this question before, I was saying to the listener, maybe look look for the plants closer to May, mm. first or second week of May, because it is a frost-sensitive plant, right. so you don't want to be putting out too early mm. as well. But it's not too late to sow the seed. So if the listener gives us a ring in the garden centre, we'll post the seed out to them. Okay. So blue adjuratum, nice little plant, very little dainty, uh, unusual flower, right. kind of a very fluffy type flower on it. Quite a nice plant, yeah. Okay. And long flowering period as well. Okay, which is always good. Uh, and actually the same listener, Tom, thanks very much for the question. Also wondering about fact sheets. Yeah, well the fact sheets are available on the website, yeah. so just go on to gardencentre.ie, uh, click on, I think my face is on it there somewhere, so just click on, <laughs> <laughs> click on really? to, to information and uh, the fact sheets. We put a fact sheet up every week, uh, particularly for the TV3 programme, so I was doing planted containers this week on the show, so we have a fact sheet, but there's lots of, they're all archived, so if you just go back over that, there's lots of the fact sheets there that you can download, uh, information on, on growing plants in general. Okay, great stuff. And you can play the podcast can, of, of our programme here. Which is available both on your own website. On our own website, yes. And indeed on the Midwest yeah. Radio website. So once the well. show is over, just yep. click onto that and you can play it back and listen to us listen again. Listen to us again. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, how do you get rid of clover in a lawn? It's covered with a torex. Well, clover, first of all, is, is a sign that the lawn is hungry because clover fixes its own nitrogen. So it's a, it's a plant or a weed. It's a plant, really, that uh, colonises areas that, that tend to be low in fertility. So feeding the lawn will certainly help to reduce the amount of clover. Mm. Having said that, to get rid of it now, you can use... Um, you can get a specific clover lawn weed killer. So it's a specific one for clover. Again, my advice is to leave the lawn, let it grow on for a week to 10 days to allow the clover to come forward and then treat it with the clover uh, treatment and that will get rid of it. Um, now, I know we got slapped on the wrist the last time I said to, to kill clover in the lawn. I think somebody was saying to me that they, they're, um, you know, they sent in a message to say that, what about the bees and yeah. the flowers and clover? But in, in lawns, you tend not to get clover flowering because we're cutting it on such a regular basis. So, you know, don't worry about that part of it. You're, you're, if you're cutting your lawn every week, clover is not going to flower to any great right. extent. It's yeah. not going to be of any huge use to 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 the bees. So, um, so the clover, if you want to get rid of it, certainly, certainly, first of all, it's a sign of 
infertility in the lawn, low nitrogen levels, so the lawn does need feeding. And if you feed on a regular basis, you won't have as much clover in the ground. But if you want to get rid of it now, then use a specific uh, clover weed killer, and it's made from memory by Hygieia. Idea. The next dry day. So if you've cut the lawn recently, leave it for a week or 10 days and then apply it and that'll see it off. Okay. Now, is there any feed to freshen up or is those boost uh, fruit trees? Any feed? Yes. Well, use a high potash feed. Again, many of the trees are coming into flower, like I mentioned earlier. Some, like gooseberries, are beginning to ripen their fruit. So a high potash feed, sudden impact, is a very good one for me. Um, it's It's got both nitrogen phosphorus and potassium and the potash in it and lots of micronutrients as well um, it's made here in Ireland it's mm. a really really good product um, so apply that sudden impact depending on the apple trees um, if they're dwarf varieties put about a handful if it, they're larger trees two to three handfuls around the base of it. and you can use sudden impact on pears plum trees uh, anything fruiting really gooseberries blackcurrants blueberries any of those sort of plants it'll give them a good boost Okay. Now, um, somebody's wondering, is it still time, is, is there still time rather, to sow potatoes or is it getting too late as the ground is very wet to sow anything yet? That's yeah. what Johnny and well, Cork. Well, no, I mean, you can you can still plant potatoes, uh, you know, for, for another two to three weeks. The problem you're going to get is actually getting seed now, you know. Right. There's still seed certainly available in garden centres, but you need to be getting that now and, and planting them. Um, soil conditions, all, though they're, they're quite moist and wet, look at it, you can still get the potatoes in, there's no problem whatsoever. So over the next two to three weeks, get them planted, get them into the garden. Um, I think the difficulty you'll have is actually maybe getting some of the varieties that you want to get. Uh, you know, a lot of people have planted already. Uh, but certainly you can still you can still plant potatoes, grow them in, in potato planters or pots as well if you wish. Um, but I would put them into the garden, no problem okay, at all. But just get your seed now. Get the seed now, get them in straight away. Don't worry about, you'll probably find that when you're buying them in the garden centres, there's little buds on them already, already they're started to bud yeah. but but get them in, they'll be a fortnight later mm. than having them planted earlier in the season but they'll still, still get a, a wonderful crop from them. Okay, now what would you recommend for a tree for a windy spot uh, that likes something with colour like the white cherry? Well, uh, well, you know, we, the white cherry is going to blow away. Yeah, anyway, for so a start, isn't it? Th- think about um, think about trees that grow naturally in in, in exposed conditions. White thorn, and this is the lovely variety that one called Paul Scarlet, which is the pink thorn. It's, it's actually it's gorgeous. My mother has one in her own garden, and it is a lovely, lovely, tree. beautiful yeah. tree. And it's coming into flower uh, over the next couple of weeks. It'll be coming into bloom. Lovely pink flowers, but very tough, very hardy. It's got the same hardiness as the white thorn because it's in exactly the same family. So that's Crataegus Paul Scarlet, a really tough hardy variety. Uh, white beam which again you'll see growing in Ackle and Mulrani and Bulmullet and down those sort of areas. A lovely silver. It's in the Sorbus family. Sorbus aria lutescens is the botanical name or mm-hmm. white beam. Really tough, good hardy tree. Um, the mountain ash in their own right are, are tough. You know, the varieties like Joseph Rock, um, Acuparia which Joseph Rock is beautiful, yellow berries. So go to local gardens and ask them for trees that are good in exposed areas. But for me, Crataegus Paul Scarlet, the, the, the pink thorn, uh, the white beam and the, anything in the mountain ash family will certainly be very tough. Why, the, the trouble with the cherries is, albeit that they'll grow in exposed areas, the flowers are just whisked away, so in windy areas they're, they're probably not, they are not, they're not the best. Right. Um, so some foliage trees or some tough varieties like the Paul Scarlet would be good to choose from. Silver birch would be quite good as well. Okay.
great. So good, good few options there. Yeah. Um, now, I know we were talking about the fungus on the gooseberries um, in the earlier part of the programme, Borg, but just if we could come back to it for yeah. a moment. Um, somebody's wondering about a, a black fungus, but this is the fungus that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, gooseberry mildew will actually go from a kind of greyish, bluish colour to black if it's left long enough, and it leaves that kind of skin or coating on the fruit, and that's what it is. But the Bordeaux mixture, anyway, will control any diseases right. on... Uh, fruiting plants so it's very safe to use so the one treatment will control mildews black spots rust all of those sort of uh, problems on, on gooseberries Okay, um, so that's uh, because their crop was destroyed last year. Yeah, and some, sometimes you'll get you'll get a fungus after aphids, after green fly feed on apple trees or trees in general mm. or gooseberries. <clears throat> There's a fungus they they exude a, because they're sap sucking pests. They actually excrete a sugary substance onto the leaves of plants, and you often get a, a black mold growing on that. So that could be it as well, where you get that where you get aphids attacking gooseberries. <clears throat> but again, if you're using the Bordeaux mixture, even though it's a fungicide, it will mm. actually control insects as right. well. So the one treatment, that's the one I would use. It's it's um, favoured by the organic people as well and it's quite safe to use on vegetables and, and uh, fruit trees. Lovely. Now apple trees, they're <coughs> loaded with pink flowers. Good. Do I, need them to, do I need to treat them with anything? Will I get this the fruit this year? They're coronet apples. Yeah, if they're, if they're the coronet variety, which are the Irish-grown dwarf apple trees, they'll fruit in their first year. So it's great to see that the listener has... Uh, um, pink buds on them uh, if, as long as they've got two or three trees in the area that they'll cross pollinate they'll fruit for you this year the trick will be thinning some of the fruit you might end up with particularly if they're covered in flowers mm. having too many fruitlets so allow them to flower allow them to set fruit and about the middle of June thin out some of the smaller fruits so if you get a cluster of five or seven fruitlets on a particular bud then thin that out to two or three so don't allow the tree to produce more than if it's a young tree, 10 or 12 apples. If it's a mature tree, up to about 30 apples is fine in a current net. So don't al- allow it to produce any more than that. So feed it as well. So put the sudden impact on it and that's really all you need to do. Okay. Give them an occasional liquid feed as well in the summer months as the, the fruit is beginning to swell because they're going to be losing lots of moisture and lots of nutrition. And particularly the cornets are suitable for growing in pots. So if you've got them in pots, particularly from June onwards, you need to keep them well wa- watered. Right. You know, watering certainly every you know two to three times a week and feeding them once a week just to keep the, as the fruit is swelling. Okay. Now we have somebody who's a beginner right. and they're wondering can they grow vegetables in grow bags or do they need a vegetable garden? No, no, uh, no, you can grow um, vegetables in things like lettuce, uh, you know, all the kind of salad crops in particular are ideal for growing in grow bags or containers or raised beds. Um, you know, you, you can actually buy little vegetable planters which in essence are reusable bags that mm. you fill with compost and you put in your, your five or six lettuce plants and let them grow and, and harvest them then as you need them. So grow bags which we use traditionally for um, tomatoes, they can be used for vegetables, um, you know for any of the salad crops, rocket radishes, anything like that at all can, you can either sow the plants or sow some seed into it. So for a beginner they're actually a great way of growing some uh, vegetable plants some particularly the, the fast maturing ones so stick to your kind of salad crops um, beetroot radishes lettuces and so on uh, but the grow bags would be ideal or, or tubs and containers are ideal yeah right. or a little raised bed in the garden you can buy a little raised bed fill it with compost and sow your vegetables into it yeah, and it's so good for beginners because you know you'll get something within a couple of weeks you'll have something usable and it kind of spurs you on to try something different yeah. Yeah. and I suppose yeah exactly when you actually are able to produce something then you say well maybe I'll expand exactly. for the next year try or something 
something different. That's, yeah. Well, good luck with that if you are a beginner. Um, and final question, Porek, because time is almost up. Um, somebody has their cherry trees. They're looking beautiful in flower right. now, but they're very tall and they're wondering when should they cut them back? Well, Im- immediately after flowering. So I would generally, the, the, with any of the, the cherries, the, the, really the right time to prune them is the end of May, the first week of June. Uh, <clears throat> once they've finished flowering and once the foliage is well and truly on the plant and they're actively growing. Now, cherries tend to bleed so when you cut them they bleed they actually you'll see the sap exuding so it's a good idea to seal the wound so if the cuts are more than four five inches in diameter get yourself a little tub of a thing called Mido uh, Mido wax it's a wax you you melt it in water so you sit the pot into a boiling tub of water allow the, the, the wax to soften and then once you've you've cut the stem, paint the meadow spray or a treatment onto the actual cut. That It's got a fungicide. It will seal the wound. It'll stop moisture and any bacteria getting into the wound. And it just caps off the, the cut, cut area. So it creates a callus, if you want, over the actual wound okay. and stops anything damaging it. So to prune cherries, uh, certainly the end of mid to the end of May, early June is the time to do them. And then get yourself a little tub of meadow uh, and just be, you literally paint it on, soften it up, paint it on. It hardens within a cut within an hour, and that's your your cherry uh, protect it Brilliant. against any diseases. Okay, thank you very mm. much indeed. Not at all. So check the website gardencentre.ie. Yep. Hook on there. There's plenty of information on it, and uh, we'll have a, the podcast of, the, of today's program is is on there as well. And I'm back on TV three uh, this Thursday. I haven't decided what I'm doing yet. <laughs> just well, after, you, I'm can just see, after, you can see what <clears> people are inquiring about maybe over the next few days. Yeah, I'm only after thinking that right. instead. <laughs> Not to worry, there's a few days left Yeah, yet. so and we'll be on TV3, about half, I think half eight next uh, Thursday morning, so join me there. And uh, and the, the programmes from TV3 are actually on their website, If you, so if you want to go back over a couple of the programmes that you I've can, done, yeah. You can look on Not everybody's up well. at half, half eight and on a Thursday oh, well, morning. Most of us are now, in fairness, <laughs> most of us are. Porik, thanks indeed, Not and a good morning to you, and good morning to you listeners as well. Stand by, Michael Neary is coming live from Claire Morris directly after the news at 10 for Turn, Claire Morris, Pink for me for the moment. Good morning.